How did we get here? Is God real? And what's he like? What messed everything up in this world and why does it continue to be so messed up? Hi, I'm Yvonne Prent and welcome to Bible 805. We're going to start to answer questions like that and so much more in our new series of lessons as we go through the Bible chronologically this whole year. We're going to be starting though with Genesis and Job, the foundational answers to the big questions of life. Let me start out though with a story. A number of years ago, I was traveling to a speaking engagement when I used to travel all over and teach church communications. I was sitting on the airplane and I was reading my Bible, and it seems like whenever I would do that, it was sort of open season for anyone sitting next to me to ask questions or pound me about something he didn't like about Christianity or the Bible. And I had a particularly testy individual on that flight, and he looks over and he said, I want to ask you about something. I said, sure. And he goes, well, why is it that you, God has allowed our world to get so messed up? I mean, look at the environment. And he went on and on about how terrible environmental damage was and how horrible it was. And somehow Christians were were responsible for a lot of it. And quite honestly, I didn't know what to say. And the only thing I could think of, and I know the Lord must have put this thought in my mind because I was just, I didn't know what to say. And I said, well, it, it, it is pretty horrible. We've really trashed our world. But I said, you know, it wasn't always like that. God didn't create it that way. And then humanity came in and messed it up. But I said, we do have hope. Because I said, I believe the Bible also tells us that someday Jesus is going to come back and he's going to make Make the world whole and new again. I was really surprised at his reaction because he changed totally and he just sat there for a minute and then he said, you know, nobody ever told me that before. And it was one of those odd kind of things when that was about the time the plane was landing and we got off the the plane and he went his way and I went mine. But I've often thought about that in the years since and, and I've honestly prayed for him that uh, I don't know his name, I don't know where he, he's at, but that he would come to know Jesus and that he would be part of the new kingdom of God. But the, the reason I'm telling this story to start out with is because this is really what Genesis is about. This is really what the whole Bible is about, is how we got here, what got messed up, and how God is going to turn things around in his time. Now, the foundational questions that Genesis will answer include things like, how did we get things get all messed up? Who is Satan? Why do innocent people suffer? What does God want from us? How did the whole plan of salvation, if there is a plan, come about? Well, these are the things that we're going to be answering. But before I get into the actual content of the lesson, I want to clarify my approach because this is really important that you know where I'm coming from because our presuppositions as speakers and teachers determine our conclusions and you should always check those out. I want you to know what mine are. I want you to perhaps approach this with a very open and questioning mind. I know I did that years ago and I have shared in some of the previous podcasts and I really encourage you to go back and listen to the truth and history one if you haven't as yet how I came to really come to the conclusion that history and truth were reliable in the Bible but 
With that as background, there are really two basic ways to study the Bible, and I want to clarify which one I'm coming from. Now, what I'm going to tell you won't surprise you if you've listened to those podcasts, but if you haven't, let me let me explain this for just a minute. Okay, the two approaches to reading the Bible are, number one, human judgment as a final authority. This is where people approach the Bible and they decide that it's a book perhaps filled with spiritual and inspiring ideas. Maybe it even contains some of the words of God, but that it also has a lot of allegory and fables and myth. This is the viewpoint where humans judge what they think is right and useful, primarily for them. Now, in contrast, instead of believing that humans make the final decisions, I agree with his statement from the EcoCore Values where it says, and I think this sums it up really well, we believe the Bible is, not merely contains, the unique and authoritative Word of God which teaches all that is necessary for faith and life. The prominence of God's Word over our lives shapes our priorities and the unrivaled authority of the Bible directs our actions to be in concert with Christ's very best for our lives. In summary, I would say that I believe that the Bible is true history about real individuals because of the historical verification that I've shared with you, but also there's some really interesting things that we're going to get into. And one of them is that um, I really believe that history verifies prophecy and gives us a really correct view of God. Now bear with me for just a minute. This is a little bit complex, but it's really neat. Now suppose that God is eternal and all-knowing. Now that's what I believe, but let's just take that as a supposition for right now. How are you, if you're God, going to prove that to humanity? Well, one way to do that would be to show that you are outside of time and space, but being outside of time and space and being able to see all of it, that you can correctly predict events that will happen in earthly history. Now, when we study the Bible in true historical order, we see that's exactly what happens. Now, let me let me use an analogy first, and then I'll get a little bit more uh, Bible-oriented on it. Now, this is the way it works. Imagine there's a parade, a really long parade. Now, you have a friend who really wants to get up into the announcer's box because she just really thinks that would be a cool place to see it. And she gets up there, and she texts you and says, I'm up in the announcer's box. I can see the whole parade from beginning to end. It is so cool. But you don't believe your friend. You say, prove it. I don't think you're really up there. Now, because your friend can see what's coming, and you can't, your friend says, well, in about 10 minutes, a big Star Trek float with all these characters from the movies and the books, they're going to be on it. It is so neat. Now, you can't see it. You look up, you look down, you can't see around the corner, you can't see far enough, you don't see any Star Trek float. But because your friend's up in that announcer's box, she can see it even though it's blocks away. And sure enough, in a few minutes, that float comes by. Now, imagine that instead of just an earthly parade, that parade is the total history of our universe and humanity. And instead of an announcer's booth, imagine God outside of time, seeing everything and knowing the beginning from the end. Now, God being there 
one of the best ways to show that is to say this event is going to happen at a certain time. These are the things that are going to happen in Israel's prophecy. These are the things that are going to happen when Jesus is born. And sure enough, in true earthly history, these things happen. But here's what is really sad about most most people that go to church, most people that call themselves Christians, is they never read their Bible in order. They never really study world history in conjunction with their Bible, so they miss all of that. And there's so many really exciting things that you will see if you study your Bible in that way. Now, another thing that we learn when we realize that God is the author and outside of time and that he's put the whole thing together is something that's called progressive revelation and what that is is that is where all of the key doctrines in the bible sin redemption grace many many things they all have their start in genesis and then they are fleshed out as we go through the rest of the bible for example here is here is just one example Early on in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, God covered them with animal skins. When Abel made his offering that was pleasing to God, it was an animal sacrifice. Abraham sacrificed, and so did Job, actually about the same time. And this was long before Levitical laws, but they knew God demanded a blood sacrifice to atone for sins. Then, of course, we have the Exodus. The people meet God at Mount Sinai. Moses gets all of the laws, and the entire sacrificial system for the Old Testament is set up. And then the reason for all of that comes to fulfillment in the New Testament when the John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And then the later books in the New Testament will expand and explain this whole doctrine of substitutionary atonement and the various terms that are used for it and the other ways that we describe how the death of Christ paid for our sins. What is important to understand with progressive revelation is that God does not change his mind. The different doctrines don't change. They are just expanded, explained, added to. But once again, you won't see this clearly unless you read the Bible in order. God has the whole plot in mind, but he doesn't give us the entire story at one time. Now, one other thing that's very important to understand as we get started is the significance of the biblical story having a beginning and having an end. In Revelation 1.8, Jesus is saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, we have a beginning of our religion. Genesis teaches that creation was what's called ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. With that, our universe began. Then in Revelation 21 and in many other places, it teaches us that there will be a time when there will be a new heaven and a new earth, when there will be an end to the present universe. Now, the point is that the Christian view of time, unlike all of the Eastern religions, is linear. It has a beginning, it has an end. There is no reincarnation. Time is not cyclical. 
<laughs> to get very realistic on this, there, that means there's no do-overs. You can't mess up in this life and then hope you'll come back in the next one and you try again and whatever. No, what we do during this time, during this part of salvation history is extremely important. Hebrews says it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. And the decisions that we make and what we do are extremely important. One of the ways I've come to think about it now though is that we know and the Bible teaches very clearly and one thing that's so exciting is that those who trust in Jesus will spend eternity serving him and I believe that's in very meaningful and wonderful work, whatever that is. C.S. Lewis talks about how our life in the future will be so well suited for us, just like a glove that was made perfectly to fit your hand. But thinking about that future life, the way I look at my life now is I think, well, this is my first assignment. This is assignment number one in serving Jesus throughout all eternity. And I want to do a really good job of it. And I'm doing these podcasts so that you too will be equipped to do the very best that you can. Now, Another reason why I believe that the Bible is what it is and why the Old Testament is true and that why it, it comes from God is because that's what Jesus believed. People always say, well, he was a good man and we can trust him and all that. But he constantly affirmed his total belief in and his trust in the Old Testament scriptures as the word of God. He constantly quoted them. Um, actually, he quoted them, and, and I'm, I'm going to be looking up some of these specific references in the next few lessons, but he quoted them actually over a hundred times. The Old Testament is quoted over 200 times in the New Testament, and every time he quoted it, he quoted it as fact. He did during his temptation when he answered critics. He used many of the things that happened in the Old Testament as examples. In John 5:39, he said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. They are are they which testify of me. All of the Old Testament points to Jesus, and we'll be going over things about that. Then in Luke 24, 27, he said, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, let's get specifically to Genesis and Job, which we're going to start with. Now, we're actually going to be talking about these two books for four weeks. I'm going to just uh, give you a little bit of an introduction to Genesis right now. I wanted to set up some of the basic framework. Then the next lesson will be entirely on Job. And then the following two lessons, we're going to go back to the start of Genesis and go through the rest of Genesis and the whole history of the Jewish people, how they got started. So you might wonder why we are reading Job in the middle of Genesis. Now this is really, really important. Both of them were written in a similar time. Now there is some debate on this, but I, I've done a tremendous amount of study and I think it is extremely important to date Job as being composed and taking, well, it wasn't composed, it wasn't composed until uh, Moses wrote it down, but that the basic events took place 
around the same time of the patriarchs and there's tremendous textual evidence for that the Jewish people have always believed that is when it was written that Moses was the author and this is really important for a lot of reasons because I think the book of Job's answers and we'll go into detail on this next in the next lesson many of the really critical ideas of life now it's important to understand that both books take place in real geographical locations both involved real people now Moses had access from a human viewpoint to write the stories if you look at a map of the biblical Midian where Moses spent the 40 years of his life after he had fled Egypt from killing a man and before he went back to become the savior of Israel, you'll notice that Midian is in the same basic area as Uz where Job lived. And so it is entirely possible that he got the oral history of Job when he was when he was living there at that time. Now of course he was divinely inspired to write this but in my humble opinion and this is this is primarily my opinion I think that God gave that to him because the book of Job gives us so many answers to really profound questions in life and I believe that Moses needed that for what he was going to face when he went back to Egypt but again we'll talk about that in the next lesson now just to on confirming how we can trust some of these early documents though they are divinely inspired Bible history does not contradict secular history there is so much archaeological support and as I go through the different lessons I'll be talking about specific things and I'm going to share something in a few minutes that's recently been discovered that was that's really very exciting but one of the things that um, to just get specific on early on some of the critics this was you know a hundred years or so ago they it was popular to say, well, Moses couldn't have written the Pentateuch because people couldn't write then. They, it was a really uh, pre-literate society. Of course, there were Egyptian hieroglyphics, but writing was not not that well developed. Well, in 1887, the Tel Amara tablets were discovered, and this was a huge discovery of over 350 tablets, and they were dated to be written between 1400 to 1358 BC. This is the time of the Exodus, the conquest, and the Book of Judges, and it showed that writing was very widespread and used extensively during this time. Also in Josephus, he writes very specific history about the Jewish people that confirms things in the Bible. Now, one other thing that is very, very interesting that's been recently discovered, and even though we're getting a little ahead of, ahead of things, I wanted to show this to you because I just found out about it and I think it's just really cool. And that is what has been discovered fairly recently under what is called Jonah's tomb. Now some of you may remember a few years ago when ISIS was going around and blowing up all of these historical archaeological sites. I remember seeing that on television and being a historian I literally cried when I saw that. Well what they've discovered since then, it's very interesting for those of us that believe in the sovereignty of God, is they blew up this very beautiful ornate temple that had been called Jonah's tomb. Well, we don't know whether he was buried there or not, but it was it was quite gorgeous. And it was actually built over ruins of the ancient city of Nineveh, which is very prominent, of course, in the Old Testament. Well, they blew the whole thing up. And what's interesting about it 
is after they blew it up just in clearing away the rubble and things like that, they discovered that ISIS had not only blown it up just to blow it up, but they started tunneling underneath it. And they think that they probably did that to find artifacts and different things. Well, they, when they went into the tunnels and the areas underneath it, they found huge archaeological treasures. And these are just now being translated and revealed to the public. But this is a, a huge store of fragments and documents that specifically verify different things in the Old Testament. Some of them that I, I read just recently is they talk about the exact order of the kings of Nineveh precisely as it's portrayed in the Bible. They go into detail on how Nineveh would take people from one area and resettle them in another and how they would mix people up like that so that they wouldn't rebel. And this is exactly what happened after Israel was taken into captivity. The Assyrians brought in people from other nations to settle in Samaria, and that's why it became a mixed breed. And so this is a phenomenal archaeological find, and they, they've only really started to get into it and discover it and translate it and things like that. Now, also, too, in way of background, though the biblical writers used primary sources, for example, they probably used, for example, Moses' oral history and things like that. They also used other writers. They also used what we as historians would call primary sources. For example, just a couple of examples of this. Um, in First Chronicles 29, 29 through 30, it says, As for the events of King David's reign, from the beginning to end, they are written in the records of Samuel the seer, the records of Nathan the prophet, and the records of Gad the seer, together with the details of his reign and the circumstances that surrounded him and Israel and the kingdoms of all the other lands. So the writer of Chronicles said there was all these different sources, and he obviously consulted them before writing Chronicles. In Luke 1, 1 through 4, Luke says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things which you have been taught. And so here we see examples later in the Bible, and by the way, Dr. Luke was just a phenomenal historian. Historians since then have really admired how he got into the most specific of details of titles of people and who ruled when and many, many things that have been verified again and again. So Moses, though, was much closer too many of the events that happened than we realized. Now, this is really interesting. I didn't know this until I started doing the research for this class. But let me read you something out of the CEL organization, one of their writings about Genesis. This is really interesting. Um, it says, the creation record was obtainable only by revelation, which revelation would have seemed essential for Adam. This, as well as all other truth that was left to him, as well as his own experiences, required but a few links in the chain of tradition to bring it down to Joseph's time. For a careful examination of biblical genealogies, now here's where it gets really interesting, reveals that Adam lived until the time of Lamech. Lamech was, of course, the father of Noah. Lamech, 
to the time of Shem, who was uh, one of the sons of, of Noah, and then Shem to the time of Jacob. Jacob would, without a doubt, transmit what he knew to Joseph, since even Abraham already lived in a literary age, and Judah carried a seal, and Joseph was learned in the wisdom of the Egyptians, it seems utterly impossible that these men would have refrained from committing this valuable and reliable tradition to writing. Kings and Chronicles testify to the abundant use of source materials. And we forget that how this long life, and I will include on the website a copy of this this really interesting chart and I never thought about this before how Adams was still alive when Noah's father was born I mean isn't that amazing and Shem one of his sons was still alive when Abram was born and so Terah his father would have had a chance to talk to him so oral history would obviously have been passed down and perhaps much of it written also now, let's start on the book and actually answering some of the basic questions. So, what if God created everything, how did we get here? Well, it says, of course, in the beginning, God. And throughout the Bible, there are references again and again to His creation. It says, He made us. In Him, we live and we move and we have our being. God created our world. God created humanity. One of the things that we want to learn right away, and we're just doing a very brief survey now. We're going to go over much more of the start of Genesis in in a little over a week. But there is no such thing as a self-made man. God made us. He put people to work in the garden. We do best when we're working in a way that pleases God. And for all eternity, he knows what is best for us. If he knows what's best for us, how did things get messed up? Well, people did it. (laughs) Adam and Eve, of course, chose to believe Satan rather than God. And the core of temptation never changes from that very first one where Satan said to Eve, Did God really say that? That's how he always gets to us. And this is something that, again, is so important for you to know your Bible, to know it so well, to know it from beginning to end, front to last, to know what it really says about things, because God will always question it. Well, did he really say this was wrong? Did he really say that was wrong? Doesn't he want you to be happy? all kinds of things that are absolute lies and if you don't know your Bible well you'll fall for it and the consequences are always so much worse than we first imagined that's always what happens and so we have to know the word well so that we can stand up to temptation now of course the rest of the book of Genesis goes on to tell about the development of of humanity the growth of sin, the judgment at the Tower of Babel. It talks about the continuation of evil in the flood and then the establishment of the godly line. We will go over all of these things in the coming weeks, but next time, next lesson, next week, for those of you that are at Bible 805 Live, please read through the entire book of Job. That's a little bit more reading than than is actually what's on the schedule, but it's really important for you to do that. Now, for the podcast, for articles, for resources, for notes, for all sorts of things that go along with these lessons, please go to Bible 805 
www.bible805.com. www.bible805.com. Remember that human history has a beginning and has an end, and it's the same for each of us personally on this earth. We have a beginning, we will have an end. I want to read you a quote from C.S. Lewis' book, The World's Last Night. He says, Precisely, because we cannot predict the moment, we must be ready at all moments. The curtain may be rung down at any moment. We do not know the play, the author knows, and we are led to expect the author will have something to say to each of us on the part that each of us has played. The playing it well is what matters infinitely. That's what I want to help you do through this series of lessons. Now that's all for now. Please again check out the notes and other materials at www.bible805.com. Until next time, I'm Yvonne Prynne, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus, and I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.